And welcome to Deus Life, an aspirational podcast. I'm Patrick, and here with me as always is... Hayden. And today we have an international sensation, uh, Win Ha. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I thought we lost you for a second. There. <laughs> yeah, that's quite the suspense build. Yeah. <laughs> She's here. She's here. Win, what time is it there? It is 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Wow, waking up bright and early in the future to be with us. We appreciate exactly. it. And uh, where and where tell our listeners where you are right now. I'm in Melbourne, Australia. Wow. And when <laughs> you started fighting at a young age to protect yourself from all the deadly creatures in Australia, is that correct? Um, almost. I mean, there's so many spiders and kangaroos and echidnas. We actually have <laughs> echidnas and, and snakes and lizards in my backyard. So. Oh, Jesus. That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, usually, usually, usually I start by asking the guests their story, but I want to go a little farther back in time and you can keep it brief, but I know your mom has a very interesting story too. So what yeah. I'm hoping is you can kind of tell that story and then at some, in the middle of that story, we'll end up at you and we can go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my mom was from uh, Vietnam and she had four siblings and, uh, you know, during the Vietnam War, they had to kind of get out of the situation. So I think my mum was around mm-hmm. 13. She came over to Australia by boat with her whole family and they spent like six months or a year on an island, which was very normal. Um, so it's like a wow. they'll put all the refugees on an island, let's say in Malaysia, as kind of an offshore processing centre and they would spend months, you know, years there Um before they were actually sent off to America or the US or, you know, so. Or Australia. Yeah. Was Australia yeah. a big, like, reception point for, yeah, for that population? Yeah, it was. I don't know what the, um, I don't know if, I don't know the amount um, of people that were sent to Australia compared to the amount that were sent to the US, but um, in Australia mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot, there were definitely a lot of Vietnamese people that came by boat uh, during that time. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I know that. It's funny. We had another guest on uh, whose parents were in a similar situation who were in the Khmer Rouge and escaped. And it, it kind of yeah. highlighted that, that I never thought about that, that there's all these populations that are scattered around the world because of yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. That's well, that's the thing. Like, they I have exported their culture. Yeah, I have cousins mainly in California, but then some in Germany, some in that's France. Fine. And that's just, that's not a result of people moving around. It's a result of, um, you know, boat refugees. Yeah, That's war war, re- war relocation, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. So like with me, with Irish grandparents and stuff, it's like I have family in Ireland and the U.S. because <laughs> they <laughs> all came here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but continue. I wanted to add that note. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so my mom came when she was about, um, yeah, 13 or so. And then... Yeah, she didn't know any English and they had refugee programs um, to help them out. And she went to high school and she was in her year level. She was the um, one of two people that graduated that year in high school. The other person was her sister. And then she went on wow. into teaching um, teaching high school, maths at high school and then university and then um, coordinating the um, – a doctorate of business administration program at her university um, and doing her PhD wow. uh, single mother raising me. Wow. And she was a mother that whole time, like, like pretty early on in that process. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I think as soon as she started working on her PhD, that was when she had me. 
Damn, I feel like people used to grow up a lot faster. <laughs> like, yeah, did. I saw a meme recently, and it was like me at thirty. I don't know if I'm ready or old enough to have kids. And then it was like yeah. thirty year old in nineteen twenty, and it's like, what am I going to do with my seven kids? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like, we apart from Corona, we haven't really had any defining like uh, life um, events. You know, apart from uh, when you, uh, I would, I would yeah, say over yeah. here nine eleven. Nine eleven was oh, a big yeah, one over true. here in terms of like define defining a generation. Everybody, yeah. everybody here remembers where the everybody that was old enough to everybody that was seven years and older when that happened remembers exactly yeah. where they were when they found out about it. Not even yeah. that, but I remember how much life changed, like how much right. the country changed. Okay. And That's interesting. Like, it, it is two different worlds, like pre and post nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are and we're getting off topic. Are there any events like that in your experience growing up in Australia? I remember there was a, I'm not sure. I remember hearing about something where there was a big massacre and they took, and like there was like, the, yeah, so yeah I think that was like the year I was like born. So I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah. I won't, that one was, a, yeah, I, rec- I recall that one being a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, like, I don't think anything has happened. Like, you know, obviously a few things here and there, like, but nothing crazy. Like we had a drought and we could only have um, showers under three minutes. So that was about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> was it just, it ran on the honesty policy or? <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so let's let's go. So now we're at the point where you're born in this story, yes. and all yeah. of Australia's problems um, are gone. Yeah, yes, unfortunately, coincidentally, on the day you were born. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and you grew up there. And and tell me, of course, uh, which I think everybody wants to hear, which is how you got into mixed martial arts. Yeah, so I was not a sporty child. I was an only child, and I spent most of my um, childhood on the couch eating junk food, watching TV. That's what I did. <laughs> Um, but there was no parental. I'm an, I'm an only. I'm, right? I, I'm an. I'm an only child too, and oh. I got plenty of hours in doing that when I was growing up. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, right? Right, uh, like real. Uh, like, gr- yeah, well, I'm curious. I, I ask. Uh, I like asking only children about this. Do you find that because you were only around adults that you're more comfortable talking to adults, or that as grow as you were growing up, you were sort of more confident and comfortable talking to your friends' parents and stuff like that because you didn't have a sibling that you were speaking in like little mm. kids speak to as often yeah I feel like I was very mature because I didn't you know there was no time to kind of be silly and and be a child it was just kind of oh well these are all the adult figures in my life yep okay so so you were watching tv and eating junk food probably around the same time I was watching tv and eating (laughs) junk food and uh and then where did it go from there yeah, and but I watched a lot of TV. <laughs> I watched a lot of martial arts. Really movies. emphasizing that point. <laughs> I I was it's raised important. by the television as well. Yeah, do you feel like you're very yeah? Do you feel like you're very culturally culturally in touch with like the media there as well? Yeah, I do actually. <laughs> but yep. um, yeah, so I, I spent a lot of time watching. Um, films and action movies that I loved and war films and Western films. And I was, you know, looking at like all the cool characters, you know, the good guys, you know, um, fighting bad guys. I was always like, that's so cool. I want to be able to do that. Or like, I want to know if I was put in that situation, I would want to know what to do kind of thing. Yeah. That was the thinking behind it, but I never did anything about it. I just continued sitting on the couch and being like, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Um, And then 
when I got to high school, so that's, uh, I guess, when you're 12. <laughs> um, I started, Maybe in Australia. <laughs> yeah, in Australia, yeah. I started training. I started uh, doing all these sports because it was compulsory. So I started dabbling in kind of every single sport that was available at the school. Um, and I enjoyed them, but I wasn't. there were none that I was super passionate about, but I still enjoyed it. And that's how I started getting into fitness. And my auntie's boyfriend, he had been doing jiu-jitsu for a while. And he every time, like, we hung out, he was like, you should try jiu-jitsu. And he always had this kind of little spark in his eye, you know, that it was so cool. It was something like, you know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, in Australia, if you want to get anywhere in a sport professionally or even at an okay level, you have to start when you're like three or four or five, six kind of thing. You know, it's just sporting heavy country as um, I'm sure it is in America. So I was always like, no, like if I go to this like martial arts class, I'm going to be the oldest one there. I'm not even going to know anything. So that's where I was at. Um, I didn't realize what it's actually like. And then, so I always. Yeah, because I remember I told you that I, I wish I had started sooner and you agreed, but you started when you were like 14 or 15. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you think, you know. Yeah. It's just a different timeline, this sport, because um, it's so new. Yeah. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so I always knew about it, right? I knew about jiu-jitsu. And then um, I was 16. I decided I was going to stop doing guitar lessons at school. And I was like, I'm going to pick something up. And I thought, you know what? Maybe it's time to just pick up martial arts. So I Googled martial arts Melbourne and, um that's, uh, that's where I ended up. I ended up at an MMA gym in the city. Nice. And what was that first class like? Was it striking, grappling? Oh, it was so scary. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was actually a <laughs> class made for teenage kids. Um, so it was a mix of everything. <laughs> it was kind of an, like an introductory <laughs> MMA class for six, um, that makes it sound like it's for like teen, like troubled youth. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it was for juvenile delinquents to come in and, and uh, get scared straight. <laughs> you know what? That sounds amazing. I might start that program. <laughs> yeah. Wind beats you up. <laughs> <laughs> Just challenges all your you know, preconceptions of everything. Yeah, yeah. I like that program. Go on. I'm going to make 20 more jokes if you don't continue. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I started the... Uh, started the in the prodigies class and it was so scary i walked in and it was just like men like just males no females it was just yeah. i i was a shy kid right i had trouble making eye contact i had trouble speaking like public speaking so this was wow. definitely out of my comfort zone but the coach was really nice um he was very understanding and um yeah i had i at during the class, I was like, you know what? I don't think this is for me because we were doing like boxing and then like, you know, getting into guard with boys. And when you're a teenager, that's really weird, right? Um, and so I was Very like, much so. yeah, I was like, this is not what I expected. Um, but afterwards, yeah. uh, the coach was like, you know, why don't you have a chat to one of the girls? One of the girls had come in, so I. Uh, you know, a female who had been training for about a year in jiu-jitsu. So I had a chat with her and um, and she kind of, you know, uh, consolidated that, you know, this might be a good place to be just from her experiences. 
So it wasn't until after talking mm-hmm. to another female and being like, oh, this is actually, okay, I can do this. Yeah, this is still like early days of the sport and, and telling me that at a very young age you knew somebody who was into jujitsu is shocking. It's yeah, like I didn't know anyone who did right. jujitsu until I was well, like I was very mid-20s. To, yeah, to until Joe Rogan got popular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So you started mm. training there and, and kept going consistently. And how long were you training before you took your first fight? Um, I actually trained for two years before I ever fought and most people wouldn't have waited that long. Oh, I didn't wait. I just didn't have a choice really. Uh, I was getting better, but there was just no, at that point in time, there were no opportunities in Australia. Firstly, there weren't many amateur opportunities in Australia. Secondly, there weren't any females that were my weight in Australia and there still isn't. So... Uh, I wasn't yeah, that yet. still is a problem. Yeah, I can't. It's like a lot of amateur fight. fighters that I know, they have a lot of trouble finding fights because you mm-hmm. have to find these lower promotions that don't have a lot of skills and in, in the mm-hmm. bureaucracy part of it and like getting the fight sanctioned is hard and finding a location. It's like, yeah. Um, well, for like me, even the UFC exactly. has had trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For me, it's just the. What was it like? The what was it? Yeah, well, tell us about tell us about that first fight experience. Did did you have to find the promotion, or did they come to you? Was it somebody you knew already that you wound up fighting? Was it in your hometown? What no, was it like, sort so of like, I the, the went, lead up. Yeah, I went to Thailand when I was eighteen, and that's you know plenty of good. Um, <laughs> and the lead up to that was, I thought, wow, I've been training for two years. I've put my life into this. I absolutely love this sport, and. You know, what happens if I get in the cage, sorry, if I get in the ring and I don't like what happens? Like, I'm, it's just not me. But I was like, you know, like I have to find out. There was this uh, doubt in my mind, this lingering doubt that was like, what if, what if you hate it? You know, what if all that, you know, two years of training for that? But yeah. That's you know, a really I'm important excited. point that you can love training yeah, but not love fighting. You know and a I mean? lot of people do that, you know. Some people train and they never want yeah. to fight. Or some people train and they fight and realize that it's not for them. So that's what I thought, you know, could have happened. Not sure. But got into the ring. I was 18 um, in Thailand uh, fighting Muay Thai. And I loved every second of it. <laughs> so yeah. that was that. Yeah. How did the first fight go, if you don't mind my asking? I won in the second round by TKO. Boom. Mm. By what technique? Yeah, tell, give, give us the details. Oh, I don't even... It was just a flurry of punches, really. A lot of hooks and, and body shots. Nice. Yeah. Interesting. So did you move to Thailand at that point? No. So I just went there for three months uh, to start off with. And and then when I was there, I had the best time of my life. So <laughs> when I came back to Australia, uh-huh. it wasn't the same. Yeah. You did move to Thailand to train at, at Tiger, right? Yes. So I moved about a year or so after that trip, year and a half. Yeah. Got you. Got you. And uh, now I want to ask you something that a lot of people are impressed with you so far, but I think they're going to be doubly impressed at this point. When did you start doing law school as well? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess I, I did high school, right? And then I wasn't going to finish high school. I, I wasn't going to do my last year. I said, I want to be a fighter. You know, mom, I want to be a fighter. I'm going to drop out. Wow. <laughs> and obviously that doesn't really go well uh, with any parent. <laughs> Especially to your mom, who's like alone. queen of academia. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Asian parents who actually work in academia, right? <laughs> she was like, what? Yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, the boys at the gym, they convinced me, you know, you just got to finish high school, just fin- finish that last year, right? And then, you know, you'll, you'll regret it if you don't do it. And I was like, okay, fine. So mm. in my head, I was like, good job, guys. Yeah, th- I know, thank you, right? Um, yeah. In my head, I was like, I'm going to finish this last year, but I'm going after this, when I finish, I'm going to go to Thailand for three months afterward. That's going to be my reward. So, Mm-hmm. That was kind of the thing. Like I was just going to get my little, you know, three-month um, MMA phase out of me, right? <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go hard in the paint. Exactly. And I was like, that's, that's what's going to happen. And then I'll just go back to my normal life. Uh, so, you know, in year 12, I did mm-hmm. all these subjects. And, and uh, I guess law school was the one that spoke out to me the most. Uh, humanities and the legal system was really cool to me. So I applied for... Um, double degree law and international relations and I got in. So after my three months at Thailand, I moved um, uh, to college and started doing that. Um, But, you know, life, uh, I really did enjoy college life because it was just so different after, you know, doing three months in Thailand, training, fighting on an island with some cool people. Like it it really wasn't the same. So, yeah. And is that level of progression when you're really like living that Thai training life? It was it was it much faster and more aggressive in terms of how fast you're getting better than back in Australia? No distractions because that's all you're doing because that's all your friends are doing, right? So there's you know at least even here if I were to train full time, I'd still get distracted by friends you know who are doing other things. They'd be like, oh, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? It's like over there the people you hang out with, they're on the exactly the same schedule as you. So you're not going to do anything at night. You might go out for dinner, you know, everyone goes out for dinner and then you might talk about fighting at dinner and then you all go home and sleep because we all have training <laughs> the next morning. So there's no distraction. Yeah. And Thank you're you training much. with world-class people there. Was that the first time you were really training with world-class people to where you could really understand for the first time yeah, skill levels sure. at on the world so stage? In Australia, it's funny because when I started in Melbourne, the guys that I was training with weren't high level at the time. Now they're high level because it's been mm. like seven years, right? Alex Volkanovsky used to come to my yeah. gym for sparring, right? Well, when he was still a local nice. fighter. Um, when he was still a rugby player. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, and then nowadays, now they've come far. But at, at the time, you know, these people, you know, were just fighting on local shows. So when I went to Thailand, it was the first time that I had trained with people who were fighting internationally and on big promotions. So that was crazy to me. You got to see their work ethic and you got to see how the high level people do it. Yeah. And now you always wanted to fight MMA, right? Like um, it was really just about getting some Muay Thai fights in there. Yeah. I, I it was assume, oh, you've done a lot of grappling too, right? Didn't you yeah. wrestle on the world yeah. stage? Yeah. Yeah. So I, and, uh, and I, I I kind of had assumed that you had wrestled in high school or something and no. that was where you started. It's interesting that you started at a true MMA gym. Yeah, that's not a thing in Australia. So wrestling is not a big oh, sport wow. in Australia. The circle is very small, um, so there's not much competition, right, uh, especially for females. So I started MMA first and then I was like, you know, I asked my coach, you know, oh, I want to fight MMA. I want to fight MMA. He's like, I'm not letting you fight MMA until you get better jiu-jitsu. And at that point in time, I was 17. I hated jiu-jitsu. I was like, oh, this stuff is stupid. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, yeah, I just want to punch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop wrestling. So I started wrestling and uh, actually really enjoyed it. And, you know, I uh, got to uh, mm. travel overseas and compete in wrestling. So, Oh, that's awesome. Now tell um, me something. Yeah. Which do you find more practical to your MMA fights? The, your wrestling skill set or your jiu-jitsu skill set? Wrestling, 100%. I mean, see, so you could have the best. Uh, I'm happy you said that. <laughs> you can have the best jujitsu in your MMA game, but if you can't take them down or you can't get them to the ground, you're probably just going to get punched the whole time, right? Um, you know what? I've made this argument to many people that there's a reason that these promotions have you fight in a cage because if you're out in the real world, mm-hmm. like, and there's nothing behind you, it, right. it's almost impossible to take someone down if they yeah, can back exactly. up infinitely. <laughs> like, if you get good jiu-jitsu, so, uh, but you work on your wrestling, then hundred percent you'll be dangerous. But if you just have jiu-jitsu yeah. and you don't have any wrestling, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be tricky for you. So, you know, wrestlers. And can you describe, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> wrestlers have such good pressure. And they're so dominant, right? Mm. So once you, you know, once they're able to get the fight to the ground or um, or stop the fight from getting to the ground because wrestling dictates where the yeah. exchanges go, right? If they get it to the ground, then because they're such, they're so good at, um, you know, position and pressure, they can just stay there. From there, you can just ground and pound. You know, yeah, you need jujitsu, right, to defend yourself, but. You know, and for the submissions. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. And if you look at uh, like if you just use the UFC as an example, which is Mm -hmm. probably the top promotion in terms of talent, uh, one one championship might actually have a bigger fan base. I'm Mm -hmm. curious about that. But um, in terms of talent, I think it's pretty clearly the UFC. And if you look at the divisions, aside from middleweight, like it's all wrestling heavy wrestlers across the board that are dominated. It also comes back from that wrestling mentality. Like, I don't know if you've ever done a wrestling warm-up, but a warm-up in wrestling is harder than any whole session you can do in anything else, in my opinion, right? (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm about to go to a gym that has MMA wrestling classes. (laughs) I'm kind of excited. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but wrestling is just different. Like, you know, it's a different mentality. It's always go, go, go. In jiu-jitsu, you know, it's aggressive, but you can also chill. In wrestling, there's none of that. There's no time to stop and and hang out. You know, you're going 100% all the time. Damn, because I like that about jujitsu. That if you find a comfortable spot against someone that's I, not too much better than you, <laughs> I you like can really challenge. you can hang out. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I, I find. Like uh, I I find that a lot of people that just train striking, like a lot of people that just have done Thai boxing forever, they're, they're very intimidated by grappling sparring for some reason. And I'm yeah. like, no, dude, you spar striking. There's no off button in striking. Like. If you're losing, you just lose more. <laughs> like, yeah, you just get you hit a bunch, kind of like right? Cover yeah. up and, you know, move around a little bit. But yeah. Yeah. And uh, wrestling does not offer any of that. Because if you stop for one second, your opponent is going to make the most of that. And the next thing you know, you're just going to have like, your bloody face in the ground and it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. And there, there's not really submissions in wrestling in, in training, right? Like you just right. kind of go. Right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like get to the ground. Okay, you're being pinned. Get up and do it again. There's no like that hanging around when like your opponent is trying to get a submission. You're like, you know what? I know I'm safe. I'm just going to rest a little bit here. <laughs> you know, and I, I can say that I'm just <laughs> so You know what I do is, is <laughs> yeah, after I tap, I congratulate them for a minute. Yeah, so I'm like, wow, that, that was great. You had to do that. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, how'd you do that? Yeah, I ask him so that I can take some breaks. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yeah. I'm, cu- I'm, I'm curious if, if, if you were going back to when you, so let's say somebody comes up to you and now you have all of your experience and you have fights under your belt and you had a 16 or 17 year old guy or girl come up to you who didn't know anything about martial arts, but they were really interested in getting started. Mm-hmm. How would you sort of, if you were charting a course for somebody, given what you know now, would you have them start with a striking gym or go straight to an MMA gym, train jujitsu, wrestling, Muay Thai? Is there a spe- specific sort of, um, subspecialty that you would recommend people start with to make sure it's something they like, or how would, how would you recommend the beginner get started? For someone who's like 16 or 17, the way I started, I think going to an MMA gym and understanding, you know, MMA is, a, it's, is its own sport now. It's no longer, you know, wrestlers versus Muay Thai people, or karate people versus Taekwondo or whatever. Now it's its own sport and it has its own style. So I would definitely recommend going to an MMA gym and doing that, but then branching out to all the different classes that is MMA-specific wrestling, MMA-specific striking. Um, because if you go to just say a boxing gym or a wrestling gym, you're going to learn habits that aren't transferable to MMA. So you really don't want to learn those Mm. habits. You just want to kind of go to the source and do it. And from there on, it's not like you're just going straight MMA. There's, you know, MMA jujitsu, MMA wrestling that, um, that'll help you with your game. I don't think it's necessary to have a, have a base anymore. I mean, I don't have a base and, um, it means that I had to learn, everything and kind of uh do uh kind of create my own style yeah that's interesting you really are an mma fighter i thought you had a wrestling base yeah i I just i've taken more to the wrestling because i enjoy it uh one one note i have about sparring in gyms then um because one of the I, i i've never done super hard sparring and i think like one of the misconceptions I think is that getting hit is the hill you have to get over in sparring. But for me, it's, it, it was really gaining the comfort to throw without mm-hmm. worrying about inflicting like too much damage, I guess. And, and yeah. like, having control over your limbs and like feeling free, I guess, to, to mm-hmm. throw stuff. I mean, do you get to a point pretty, pretty quickly? And most of the sparring I do is like Thai style sparring where it's like play fighting and just tapping and stuff yeah. like that. Right. Um, jujitsu, obviously you can do the sport. You can go right, full on. Right. Uh, that's one of the cool things about it. Um, but, but like h- how much of a battle is getting comfortable and especially with like new people, is that still a thing even at high levels? Definitely. It's definitely a thing. Um, you know, I'm a hundred percent more comfortable, uh, sparring with a UFC fighter than I am sparring with someone who's been training for six months because the UFC oh, yeah. fighter will be technical. They'll know how to, you know, uh, they'll know how to control themselves. Whereas someone who's just started, they don't understand their power, especially as a smaller female. And for me, I didn't have to worry about not unleashing too much power because I'm a lot smaller than everyone else. So I didn't have to go through that. But for other people, I can see that, you know, they do have problems, you know, trying to figure out how to do that. I remember Angela Hill. I heard her tell a story once. Uh, I forget it was on a podcast or an interview just talking about how she used to spar and because she was a small woman in a gym full of mm-hmm. giant dudes that yeah. she would just throw like full power overhands at everyone. And they're like, listen, exactly. you got to chill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obviously not going to return fire like that, but that's yeah, not yeah, cool. Yeah. She had to learn that lesson of like, you know, just cause she's small, you still have to like, you know, maintain control there. Yeah, exactly. And then I'm, 
And then, so I imagine you've had some injuries along the way and I'm curious as you're managing your training schedule and if you have something that's hurt versus injured or you're dinged mm. up or you're a little bit beaten up and bruised or something like that, how do you listen to your body and sort of, how do you sort of internally go, oh shoot, it, I can push through this because it's just pain versus, oh shoot, I shouldn't continue training mm-hmm. because I'm going to injure myself even more. Yeah. So I've been training since I was 16 and I know the difference between when something's a little sore and when something is hurt and potentially injured, right? So if I'm sore, that's fine, keep going. But if I'm hurt and I know that something's off, then I will take the time off because I would rather take a day off or a week off and, and you know, see my physio or whatever and get the rehab in as opposed to being like, no, you know what, I'm going to come every day and uh, and be stubborn about it and then, you know, if it's an injury or if it's something minor, it could completely get get worse. And who knows? Maybe you end up having surgery and you, you're out for months. You're out for a year. So I, I de- you know, I took a week off last week or the other the other week um, because kind of my the left side of my torso was feeling weird. But after I saw my physio, my physio was like, no, every, you know, it's fine. You know, just a few things here a week, and and you know, fixed me up. Like then it was, then it was all good. I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, then I don't have anything to worry about. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I am a complete hobbyist, and I still have that battle. Or I, I yeah. like, I never know if it's something that I could just deal with. Like, if it's just pain, that's fine. You can deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. But I never know if I'm doing more damage to the thing long term, and I don't want to do that, right? No, but like. God, that's like such a thing though, that, that even in my limited experience, like managing injuries is such a component of MMA. Jesus. I mean, I, I feel mm-hmm. like since I've started, I have things that'll just be with me for life, <laughs> like turf yeah. toe and like little, like finger jams that never heal. <laughs> like yeah, knees. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And keep in mind that I'm a white belt. So I roll with a lot of white belts, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know, God, I hate it. I, I, <laughs> It's funny. My old gym was, I was like one of two white belts and I loved it. Like yeah, I would never exactly. get hurt there. And then when it shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're all technical and they'll, they'll play with you and, and they're not, they don't have anything to prove. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then um, white belts are just like, I went to, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went to a new gym and it's like white belt only classes and there's like 20 kids and they're all young yeah. and they all have like, you know, that young kid, young yeah, male yeah, energy. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, Dude, just chill. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> it's cool. You're better than me. I, you know, you can have the trophy at the end of the class. No, like when I'm rolling with like, I'm like 80 kilo white belt. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> what? I think you dropped your computer. Oh, We're back. Sorry. We're back. Yeah, it was a loud crashing noise. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that's good. That's um, good. What was I saying? Oh, it's like when I'm, you know, let's say there's no one else in the class and I roll with like an 80 kilo white belt and he's just like, you know, pushing me over and just like using like muscle. And I'm like, what are you trying to prove here? I don't understand. Like you're not helping anyone. You're not going to get on another person your weight and I'm just getting fucked really. Like, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And strength is a real component there. No matter how tactical you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Which, uh, and so I'm curious, which fighters, uh, both men and women, do you think are people to look up to in terms of their particular skill sets? Who are some of the women fighters maybe in the UFC that you think are particularly interesting or or very talented? I really like Angela Hill um, now that we're on it. 
I think, you know, I've been watching her. Yeah, I love her too. In Invicta. And then I think she had like that stint in the UFC as well. So I just think she's, you know, she's a really cool character and she just kind of has that um, attitude. That it's, a, it's a really good attitude to have um, in MMA. So I respect that a lot. I feel like people should steal her coaches because she started really late. Like she mm-hmm. didn't start training until she was like early 20s or later 20s, yeah, maybe right. like 23 or 24. Mm-hmm. And she gets so much better. Every, like every fight, mm-hmm. she's 30% better than she was the last fight. Exactly, yeah. Which, uh, yeah, it's amazing. To where she went from newbie to title contender. Yeah. <laughs> like quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. Amazing. Four or five fights. And then do you come across, this is a total aside, do you come across and what are your thoughts on the use of like uh, human growth hormone or steroids in MMA? Because I know it's, I know that there are, there's sort of like a steroid era that's famous in, in the mm-hmm. MMA world where you've got mm-hmm. TRT, Vitor, Belfort, <laughs> stuff like that. Some of just the most stupidly, period. <laughs> stupidly jacked people that are on all the Turnaball and Dianaball and Winstrol yeah. and all those crazy things. Yeah. Do you do you come across that in your world? And do you think that steroids and PEDs should be allowed or disallowed? Um, you know, I haven't really looked into it very much. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, at my weight, at 48 kilos, so 105 pounds, I feel like all the top girls probably aren't on it. I might be wrong, um, but it's not like, uh, you know, let's say I'm a, I'm a male middleweight um, and it's, it's going to be a worry that we know what if all my opponents are on it or not. So, yeah, and you can kind of tell with females um, whether they've been on it or not just because of the effects that it has on the body. So it's mm-hmm. not, it hasn't really been a concern for me personally. Interesting. So you have people that you're aware. I mean, I'm not potentially maybe, but, you know, sometimes you look at someone and you're like, Uh okay, potentially, but, like, it's a very rare, like, it's a very small percentage of people that could be on it. So it's not a worry. Interesting. Now, I want to take it in a very different direction because, as as our listeners know, we have that form submission where people fill out topics they want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the topics on here was the negative effects of social media. Mm. And I know that you... You are someone, just from getting to know you, you have a lot of self-control and you have a lot of like, like you're very intentional about um, managing things that can be unhealthy for you. So I think you probably have a good amount of control on social media. But then you have to pair that with the idea that the sport you're in and the sport right. that you want to succeed in is a public, it's it's as much entertainment as it is merit-based fighting, right? Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I was up to 5 a.m., looking at blackberries because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a blackberry. Going <laughs> <laughs> to take it retro so you don't have to do Instagram. Yeah. I mean, I thought, you know, like have that, like when I go, when I leave the house and then just have my iPhone at home. So when I go home, I can check Instagram, I can check Facebook, but the blackberry, you know, it'd be like calls, you know, people that are important, and, you know, and I can still like look on maps or whatever. Like I can, you know, it's, it's like not that old. That That's it's, a yeah, good it's, idea. Yeah. Cause so. I, you're right. Like the phone, I'm, a, I'm the phone just dings and dongs and beeps. Oh, and I don't, it's a slot machine. All it's terrible. Long. Yeah. I don't have any notifications on my phone except for messages and phone calls and the, I don't even text that many people. So the people I give my number to are my family and my close friends kind of thing, right? So everyone else is on yeah. Messenger or is on Instagram messages, which I don't have notifications for. 
Yeah, that's great. Well, if you manage some brand accounts, that would have to change and it would ruin your life. But <laughs> Oh, exactly. Well, that's the thing. Like I had them on and then it was like other social media accounts. It was just that that little red dot, like that badge that was there constantly. And that gives me anxiety. I'm like, I can't do that because like, if, if there's a notification, I have to open it, right? Yeah. It's such a give and take. It's like I think social media is ultimately negative for most of the world like mm-hmm. as a whole. And I could generalize it as generally bad, mm-hmm. but it is also the most amazing tool oh, I've ever had in my yeah. life. Like you can literally connect with anyone anywhere. The only mm-hmm. reason you're talking to us now mm-hmm. is because of Instagram. <laughs> like, exactly. it, it, it's seriously incredible. And, like, it's an incredible tool. Yeah. And when people, you know, created social media and Instagram and Facebook, they didn't think, you know what? You know what we're gonna do. We're gonna create this um, this application that's gonna fuck everyone's ment- mental illness and self esteem and self worth up. So I weren't thinking about that. Let's They're do it. Connecting <laughs> everyone, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's 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 a very optimistic outlook. <laughs> I think they were thinking about how can we keep people on this for as long as possible well, so we can sell ads. Start, <laughs> at the start, the kind of the whole idea of it was to bring everyone together, but then. It became so, it's become something else. Yeah, it's true. E- even me, who like, because uh, all my work is online, and mm-hmm. and a lot of everything else I do, everything I do, I, I need sort of a device to do, mm-hmm. right? That's so I, I've noticed e- even myself, who like I have good self control, and I can kind of recognize things, and I think you know, compared to the population, I have pretty good control over my actions, right? Mm-hmm. But even myself, I find myself really living in a virtual world. Like the virtual world yeah. isn't different than the real world to me. Exactly. They're kind of the same thing at this point. And I was... Uh, now, I know that gets a bad rap as, like, negative, but... Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, I I completely agree. I mean, I'm pretty good with it because I'm aware, you know, of all the shit that's happening, you know. Uh, it's very vague, I know. But, yeah. um, you know, like, <laughs> I, I would say that I'm pretty good at controlling my social media intake. I've never really kind of... Um, I don't get sucked into it. But even sometimes, like, you just find yourself an hour, two hours, and, you know, it's just lost. Like, you know, I was reading, I can't remember what I was reading the other day. It was a few weeks ago, but it was, it talked about the death, like, let's say someone dies, right, physically, their social media still mm-hmm. goes on. So now there's that, your virtual life and your physical body life, Right which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Now take it a step further. Hayden and I are going to have an audio diary of our entire lives starting Uh, when we started this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll, that, that'll live on just like books do. It's interesting. You mentioned the, the sort of the social media life of people continuing because uh, Kobe Bryant's Instagram account still posts. Right. And and so somebody else in the news too. Was it Herman Cain? It could be Herman Cain. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I've I, we've all had that like people that died young, but people keep their accounts open mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And and, and sometimes like they'll that. comment as it. Oh, that's really weird. <laughs> we, yeah. we we had an uh, we had an American politician here who uh, he's a Republican and he died of coronavirus, mm-hmm. and his account went be- went on uh, after he died, mm-hmm. and then removed his tweets about coronavirus. Oh wow! Like like down downplaying it. So. Uh, yeah, irony. Um, wow, so, yeah, that's interesting. That's def- definitely interesting. I'm also curious. Uh, one of the other great questions that we uh, that you gave interesting perspective on, and I think you have a unique take on sort of your relationship with how you 
sort of motivate yourself to do everything that you want to do and live a life that's true to you because mm-hmm. you're sort of aware of and you, emb- you embrace the presentness, not necessarily immediate yeah. presentness, but sort of ongoing presentness of death. Can you tell, share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I guess when most people look at me, one of the first things I'll notice is the bands on my arm. Uh, so I have two black bands that are tattooed on my arm and they represent death. So it's a constant reminder that death is here. It's around the corner. You never know when it's going to come. Right. So in thinking that I say I could die tomorrow. So what am I going to do today? I'm going to live my life how I want to live it. And I'm going to have it as fulfilling as possible, as opposed to, you know, working my ass off for the rest of my life for that, you know, for retirement or that one time I can go on a holiday. Like I don't want that because I might not get that. I might not ever get that. So I'm just trying to do it now. I'm just trying to have a good time now. That's interesting. Uh, Do you, and this is something I go back and forth on because like intellectually, rationally, I really have no fear of death because I don't believe there's any experience really. I don't think there's any conscious experience past it. Mm -hmm. So when I hit that state, there's no like, feeling right so i won't know Mm -hmm. i'm dead so i should never really fear that state right Right. but then on the other hand i do want to prevent it (laughs) i think right like i think most people don't have a problem with death they have a problem with dying let's say you know uh you die violently or you die painfully like i think that's the scary thing it's not necessarily you know if anyone could just kind of click a button and be like okay you're dead you know that's not so bad right (laughs) yeah Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I feel like death is this lurking thing that sort of defines and motivates most of human action. But it also is never talked about because it's like people do all sorts of things just to run from the idea of it and, and never to think about right. it. Right. But it is so ever present, like you said. And humans are very fragile. Yeah, exactly. We don't, we're not made of armor. Like, I, I think yeah, I. Was, yeah, it seems like. Mm, go ahead. There's a passage in. Um, in Harari's book, I think it's Sapiens or one of one of his books, and he says, if you want to understand life, you have to understand death, right? Because they go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And I feel like in this society, we are very disconnected from death. I don't really see it. I buy, you know, I eat a lot of meat and, and that comes from things that died, right? Mm-hmm. But when I buy it, it's just like this faceless, nameless yeah, patty, exactly. right? Like I, I didn't kill it. I don't see relatives die that like, of, of course I've known people that have died, but it's like a small population yeah, of people same, close to me that died. Right. Sort of thing. Everyone's talking about, you know, we have to do this for that, but it's like, you know what? Like life isn't promised. It's so fleeting. You never know when it can happen. And then when something does happen, people are like, Oh, it's so tragic. He was 42 or something. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah. is it like, it's just a normal part of life. It's a thing. Yeah. And it's it's going to happen. Like, yeah you know, nowadays with all the technology and and medicine and science, like we can prolong death and we can, you know, cure diseases and illnesses and infections and all that. But, you know, before, before that people just died and it was a completely normal part, part of everyday life. You know, Oh, my neighbor died because of a staph infection. Like, Oh, cool, man. Like it's it's just a normal thing. Before antibiotics. (laughs) Yeah. He stepped on a stick, you know, how it goes. Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) I stepped on a nail. Yeah. I'm going to be gone in a few days. Like, Oh, see you, man. Like, I hope you you know, the old, you know, open wound. (laughs) Exactly. But now, if death is such, you know, we've, we've worked so hard to prolong our lives and to prolong, uh, to, you know, stop 
pain and suffering and death that death is just not like it's just it's seen as bad you know oh no he died like yeah okay like i get you know people might be sad about it but we shouldn't be doing that we should be celebrating yeah, yeah it's sort of a selfish sadness not necessarily in a bad way but like no. selfishly you're mourning the loss of your relationship with that you're, person you're and their existence in your life what could have been and what could have come after but really that's not a thing because it was never promised right yeah exactly uh, you mentioned uh, a couple book quotes, and I, I think that connects nicely to yeah. uh, you are one of the most avid readers <laughs> I have ever met. Um, and I'm starting to see how this works in the world where I think everybody, I think there used to be a large population of casual readers. Yeah. And now it, it's kind of turned into these two subpopulations. There's people that barely ever read and maybe read a book a year. And mm-hmm. then there's like avid readers and yeah. there's not much middle ground. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. That, I, what I want you to do is get on a platform and tell everybody why they should read more. Oh no, you put me on the spot right there. Um, read more to know more about the world, <laughs> especially in lockdown. Like, if you can't go somewhere, you can still learn about the world and learn about life and death, and and better yourself. You don't, you know, books have this this power. You know, it contains so much knowledge um, that you can really retain for the rest of your life, and it can change your life for the better just through reading. And people who say that they don't have time, that's the biggest bullshit I've ever heard, right? Because everyone has yeah. time if they make it, right? We sit around and we're on our phone 20 minutes, an hour, two hours, boom, it's gone, you know, two hours before you go to bed. You know, that 10 minutes could have been spent reading, 10 minutes, and what were you doing? Like, you know, looking at people's stories and for what? You know, people make the time for what they think is important. Too. that goes with books that goes with relationships that goes with works and friendships and family like it's there people just don't you know people it's just an excuse really it's a shit excuse yeah i always say that anytime i have like oh can i take this project on it's like i can always pull from tv time <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. it's an infinite well <laughs> it's like if you really broke down every minute of your day and and looked at the what you spend time on you'd be surprised how much we spend you know, yeah. on screens, on TV, on, you know, on entertainment that could be spent doing other things. Like for many people, it's as simple as getting more sleep. You know, so many people don't get enough sleep, which is so important. It's so underrated. Yeah, no, don't I know it? <laughs> have you uh, have you ever used have you ever have you ever used or had to use your martial arts skills sort of in the real world in a confrontation of any kind or somebody who was being aggressive or anything like that? No, never. But you know what? A part of me wishes that one day something will happen. <laughs> and it, you know, I wish a motherfucker would, exactly. right? Yeah. Just see, just to see mm-hmm. how I would go. No, but the thing is, like, I think it also resonates with a lot of fighters. You spend time in the gym. You get all that ego out in the gym, right? So when it comes to the real world, yeah. you feel that need to prove something, right? But it also gives you that confidence to be able to speak up for what you believe in you know if something's going something isn't going your way or if there's a confrontation or someone's you know being bullied or whatever you can go and you can you know be like hey you know why are we doing this can you can you not do this and you can back up this you know that if any shit went down you would be able to control that situation so it gives you that confidence to be able to say things that you probably you know you might uh be hesitant to say 
That's true. It's like, uh, this is why I'm so upset that I didn't start earlier is, mm-hmm. is seriously nothing has changed my life more than martial arts training yeah. in terms of like, it's almost like the sweat that happens during martial arts training is just insecurities dripping out of my body. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah literally. I just feel so comfortable. And, and especially even in like the work world, like mm. you can take things to a certain extent. I'm not someone that ever gets angry. Like I am incredibly level headed to maybe yeah. to a fault to some points. Um, <laughs> But, you know, even with my meager skill set, if as long as I know the other people haven't done any training, exactly. it's like yeah. I, I can really escalate an argument without fear. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. And, and I love that. And I love that's that an invaluable skill. That it brings, yeah. Because I, you know, I didn't get any yeah, that, bad situations when I was younger, but there were some situ- like some confrontations where I would have been like, I wish I had spoken up and, and said what I really wanted to say from, from the heart you know, to say to something, someone that was doing bad or whatever, but I was too scared because I was scared of, you know, the consequences of what would happen if I said those things. But now I would say it and that would be fine because, you know, what are they going to do? I'll hit you back. That's fine. (laughs) And then just box them. What's the gun situation like in Australia? Are there not many guns? There are a few guns. We don't have to worry about that. So then you can actually fight. You, you, you can't fight in the yeah, U.S. Yeah, look, in America, it would be different. People right? have guns. Yeah. but <laughs> I never know if people have guns. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's crazy to me. In Australia, it's like, no, nah, it's just our hands or nothing. Like, Do people carry knives there? There was a stage where people were carrying knives, but I, I don't think it's a thing. Like, now it's like if you're out somewhere and someone's like, oh, I've got to, like, I think they, like, made it illegal to carry a knife out. Or something. I'm, I'm not really sure. It's very safe here. <laughs> Let's it's, just keep it that way. It, it, yeah, yeah. The, well, the people are safe. The animals are not safe. Right, Everything kills exactly, them. Exactly, right? So if the people band together, it's fine. I find it so funny that Australia has all of the deadliest things in the world, and then right next door is New Zealand, which has <laughs> literally no predators to the extent where the animals are just like useless land birds that would literally. die in a heartbeat anywhere else. New Zealand is <laughs> a dream. It's so funny. i i my brothers and i road tripped there and it was like every animal we learned about was like some useless creature that would get eaten in two seconds everywhere else it's like like, uh, yeah it's a big bird it can't fly does it run fast no 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 really slow yeah because like there were no predators over there right and apparently it's like no everyone's gonna kill you so you're gonna everyone has to evolve and toughen up or we're all gonna die in new zealand it's like no we're chill we're good for sure. I, Australia, it's like people wouldn't shoot or stab each other because there's like probably a pride. <laughs> you got to use your hands, mate. <laughs> I just picture that. Have you seen that video of the guy who the kangaroo like grabs oh, his dog and he goes and boxes yeah, the kangaroo? Is that, is that real? Is that actual? Is that real? Yeah, it's real. It's Hold on. Like- you cut out. Was that real? Yes. Oh, hell yeah. And that's indicative of a typical day in Australia. That was, th- that's what you have planned for this afternoon, right? Yeah, instead of like in America, it's like, get that's off funny. my lawn. But in Australia, it's like, oh, Joey's out again. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, we're, we're coming up on time here because uh, people don't know this, but we're watching the UFC card right now because yes, yeah. uh, Jimmy Crute's going to fight in a little bit. And we want to make sure you can root on your friend. I was going to write in the chat. I was like, oh, have you seen the last fight? Incredible. He's a monster. Mm. Yeah, there's there's some people that uh, you kind of just need to watch one fight and then they stick in your memory because uh-huh. it's like, does he have a wrestling background? Because he has that like relentless energy that a lot of wrestlers have. So I don't know what his background actually is, but because he's from Australia, 
I don't think like the background would have been like pure wrestling, but I remember kind of growing up and watching him on the local shows. He's, I, I don't know how old he is, but I think he's around the same age as me. Right. So as a teenager, another like young person fight on the local show, that was a dream to me. And everyone was like, you got to watch out for this guy, Jimmy Crute. He's going to be something. He's going to be big. He's going to be in the UFC. And I was like, Hey, whatever. But like, you know, when people fight at local shows, it's like, yeah, they could be good locally, but how good are they on the international stage? That's a completely different question. And when he came to Thailand, he yeah. my mate, um, Ben Sassoli, um, and they were training at Tiger, he was, Jimmy was fucking up guys from all over the world. And from there I was like, okay, this guy is legit. This guy is definitely legit. Wow. And, you know, he's just a good guy. And Ben's also in the UFC, right? He was. He, he just went to jail. Oh. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Uh, didn't ben, ben just got convicted of an assault, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think he's uh, in there with he's, he's, out of the, he, he's out of the UFC for I yeah, think like which is so unfortunate because damn. you know this guy wasn't he he wasn't I'm not um, condoning his actions or anything, but he was out there at night working as a security guard at a club to look after his family because he has kids and he has mouths to feed. He has responsibilities. That's what he's doing. And as, you know, yeah. a fighter who fights in the UFC, he should be getting paid enough so that he can look after his family. But no, he's out there working at night to, you know, to be able to look after his young family, which is, you know, it's so unfortunate. Yeah. That is a sad state of affairs in that like, MMA is one of those sports where to make real money, you really have to be like one of the best 50 people yeah. in the world, maybe, not, I mean, maybe well, like a hundred. You're going to be scraping the whole time and that's the reality of it. Yeah. Now, one of the interesting things I guess we should close on is, and I think you would have perspective on this, Hayden and I have zero understanding of this, but um, like I think even casual fans can see how ridiculous the level of skill climbs in the UFC constantly. Yeah. Like every year, people just get like insanely better mm-hmm. like, it, to, to the point where even the lowest undercard fight mm-hmm. is like people that would have been champions five years ago. Oh, it's like, it, it's kind of crazy. And how much do you think, like, how much growth is there left, do you think? Like, are we anywhere near the human potential? I haven't even thought about that. That's crazy to think about. I'm just kind of, I've just been seeing how it goes and watching the evolution that I haven't thought about, you know, where it's going. But I think, you know, I think everyone is upskilling. Everyone is leveling up. And I think, you know, for now, for, you know, at least in the next few years, the next decade, we're still going to be getting better and better and, and we're just going to be learning more and MMA fighters are going to be, you know, complete athletes who know everything, Yeah, that, you know, they have everything. They won't be, you know, oh, he's missing, he's lacking some wrestling skills. Oh, she needs to work on her jiu-jitsu kind of thing. They're going to be complete animals yeah it's like what it lacks in financial compensation it makes up for in terms of like if you're the best basketball player or the best Mm -hmm. football player it just means you're the best basketball player or the best football player fighting is so primal and i think every other sport is just a proxy for fighting exactly to be like the champion of fighting Mm -hmm. it's something that is is priceless 100 and like those other sports you know the nfl like NBA, they've been around for so long. The UFC has, has barely been around in, in the grand scheme of things. Like, you know, there's so there's just yeah, there's a long way to go in MMA. Yeah, and to me, we still haven't seen the era of world class like 
peak athletes training from the time they were born, right? With all the knowledge and information of like the most efficient ways to train, Mm -hmm. right? It's still very like the people that have been training forever are still very regionally. Exactly. Yeah. um, Like put MMA in kind of the same structures that they do of, of other sports like baseball, football, you know, basketball and, and see how great these athletes can be. Like we're kind of, we're scratching the surface here. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing. I mean, people don't understand MMA when they watch it, but I think one thing people don't understand across the board is like the, the levels of athleticism. Like yeah. until you've been around like peak athletes, you don't understand that, that they're almost a different species. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. peak athletes are, they are different than you. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's a different thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you could train your whole life and you'll, you'll never do anything LeBron James can. You right. know what I mean? It's like, exactly. yeah, it's just different. And when those people start getting into fighting, like <laughs> Jesus. So, so as we wrap up, uh, can you share a little bit where people can find out more about you and anything sort of exciting or any up and coming plans or sort of what the next couple of years look like for you? Yeah, so you can find me on my Instagram um, at U-Y-E-N-M-M-A, but don't spend too long on it because social media sucks, don't forget. <laughs> Um, kills you yeah. but 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 spend enough time to give her a follow for sure exactly. yeah. but win is a great follow i vouch for it follow but that's about it right don't be don't be grilling my yeah. my posts and being like oh i wish i was like her no you don't <laughs> right you wish you were you and that's enough um so yeah mm-hmm. and my website is uyenha.com i'm also on t- on twitter um and facebook under the same win mma um, and yeah, I mean, at this point in time with lockdown and Australia's strict restrictions, it's hard to tell when I'm going to be fighting again, but I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to get out, trying to make moves, but, uh, you know, I'm still training, so I'm still improving every day. And I think that's going to be what the difference is. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. We, we should have mentioned that, but, but, uh, for the listeners, Wynn is in Melbourne, which is in heavy lockdown yep. right now. Yeah. Um, so that's probably pretty hard to know the next fight date, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think that's amazing that you're still able to train. Yeah, no, lucky me. Like Australia, uh, does, uh, highly regard its sporting. So lucky for that. Hell yeah. Well, Wynn, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast and we'll have to yeah. do it again, uh, before your next fight. Definitely. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, this has been Deus Life, an aspirational podcast, and we'll see y'all next time. Peace.